Welcome back to the Panty Personals. My guest today is a man who hails from Roddy Doyle territory, Kilbarrick on the north side of Dublin, but who has many different identities in music. First in a band marvellously called the 10 Speed Racer Band, and then in a twosome called the Hedge Schools with Joe Chester. But today, songwriter and singer Patrick M. Barrett releases his solo work under the intriguing moniker Arrivalists. His Twitter bio says it all. Sings, writes, cares, kind, not pitch perfect, fond of arriving, not so much of leaving. Kilbarrick Zen Cowboy travels with a Samsung and a filter. Welcome, Patrick. Thank you. <laughs> it's always Patrick M. Barrett. What's the M for? The, the M is, is Dad's name. It's like, yeah, Michael. So, yeah, a couple of years ago, I just sort of adopt that. And, yeah, it just, it just worked for me, you know. If I was going to give you a new band name, I'd call you Patrick M. Barrett. Perfect. Ten <laughs> um, Speed Racer, yeah, is a very fun name for a band. It also strikes me as very Irish boy name for a band. Yeah, like there was, yeah, I mean, there was three brothers in it: myself, yeah. Dermot and John, and then Joe Chester and the great Teddy Cullen on drums. We had a good couple of years at it. Yeah. You know, we just we had signed to a small publishing label and a small publishing house in the UK, and we had a couple of years touring the UK, touring the West Coast. East Coast America, you know, and yeah, a banger 15. With some great years, you know, and then. Like it, like anything, I suppose life gets in the way, and then yeah. it's just we decided to disband it, you know. So yeah, yeah. I do love the name because I, I, you know, I can remember being school the weirdos. Oh, he's got a ten speed. He's yeah, got a ten speed. Exactly. Yeah, and I still, I still have a ten speed, right? And uh, there was a little bit of a toy in there because I, for years, I race bikes, and so does Joe. Now Joe, Joe was a passionate cyclist, you know. That oh, way, so. I didn't really. You you raced. Yeah, yeah, I did. Well kind of very amateurly yeah. you know that way in a club but um, yeah no I still have a I still have an old steel frame bike that was made in 1968 the same year I was made I found this bike online there was a guy who sells steel frame Peugeot bikes in Fibsburg and he, re, re, he basically just restores them yeah. and all of them would have a number underneath the frame and when you can chase back the number the bike was made in 1968 same year I was so it's all me good me too Yes. What month are you? October. Oh, I'm November. Ooh. I'm younger than you, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> huh? Let it be told. <laughs> um, it's also interesting that you had uh, three brothers in the band. Yeah. You were always matey. Your Absolutely. And, and people used to always ask us that. Was there any fraction? I think because we grew up together and we spent all our lives together. And, yeah. you know, I'm still blessed with a beautiful relationship with the two of them. Yeah. You know, and all three far, were into big into music. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Although our teenage years, in terms of kind of the music geography, would have been different. Whereas I was listening to the Smiths and the Joy Division. The two lads were listening to Iron Maiden records. Yeah. You know. So, but yeah, I mean, they're scattered different corners of the world these days, and have been for years. Dermot is in Norway, and John is in Australia. But I still have 
you know, as a family, I think we're blessed with a beautiful connection yeah. with each other, you know, so. Was it a super musician family? Because your sister, Bernadette, manages Lisa Hannigan. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so also in music biz. Yeah, she managed Lisa for years and she was managing Damien Royce for years. And she's always been in, in and out of the kind of David Gray projects down the yeah. years. And yeah, an extremely successful female, you know, and I love my sister a bit, you know, she carved a career for herself mm-hmm. by going to London when she was 21 years of age and succeeded over there to step out of Ireland, which can be a little bit kind of small in yep. terms of kind of the music circle. But she, she's travelled the world, made a beautiful career for herself mm-hmm. and she's drifting away from that now, you know, going into kind of life coaching and stuff. And was all this music stuff coming from your parents? Yes, primarily, yeah. Yeah, my, well, mum would have been classically trained as a singer was involved in musical societies when when we grew up, when we kind of hear our teenage years and were able to kind of feed ourselves. Mom drifted back into something which we, she was passionate about, which was music, you know. So, And Dad would have a love of traditional music, but necessarily wouldn't. He, he couldn't sing or dance to save his life, you know. But <laughs> yeah, so it all comes from Mom, really. Yeah. Yeah. It is amazing. The more musicians in that that I meet... Um, it nearly always starts in the family somewhere. Yeah, it does. I mean, it used to start on the Sunday morning. There was an old kind of gramophone box and dad would flip up the lid. It was one of those that had the speaker in the lid. And, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, the Planksley records would come on and, <laughs> you know, on a Sunday morning. And it was a house that sur- we were surrounded by music in the house, you know. So I think the uh, the drift into it as a family, it just kind of happened naturally. Mm. But as parents, they never said no or they never stopped us doing it, you know, which is a beautiful yeah. gift to give us that absolute freedom to go and yeah. do whatever we felt we wanted to do, you know. Your parents, in a way, have played a, a sort of a an outsized role in your life in the last few years as yes. well. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, it, I spent the last two years of COVID basically home caring for the two of them because, you know, they are of, they are of that generation. Like, Dad is, he'll be 97 in... November and mom would have been 90 in April and mom passed away in January just yeah, gone just recently and uh, yeah but yeah like I I just kind of had to do it you know yeah. I, I just yeah, they'd given up so much of their own lives to bring up four kids you know and uh, the struggles that that brings in the 1980s and the 1990s yeah. on north side of Dublin you know working class and uh but my mother just did it with a grace and with a humility and a kindness that she gave mm. to the four of us. And for me to be able to kind of step off the wheel for two years and look after them and then try and navigate old age for them. Because we live in a country, unfortunately, where in terms of navigating the final years, it's just not a thing that old people are able to do anymore. Yeah, You know, they've been marginalised in terms of kind of systems, in terms of utilities, in terms of being able to do things for themselves. Yeah, They can't do it anymore. And for so many, if they don't have a voice or if they don't have somebody doing it for them, yeah, it's such it's such an absolute minefield, you know, and so many are forgotten, you know. Yeah. No, I'm very keenly aware of all that stuff at the moment because my own parents are yeah. elderly now. And yeah. um, I'm very lucky in the sense that um, I have... Four siblings, all yeah. within a couple of miles of my parents. Yeah. So they're very well, look, well yeah. looked after. Yeah. But I'm also very conscious of how much those four siblings do. Yeah. And so yeah. when I go down, as much as it is to see my parents and all of that, 
It's also to give my siblings a break. Yeah. Not that anybody ever complains. Yeah. Um, but it is a, it's a, it's a lot. And you're right. So much of it is taken up with the kind of boring new day of life, like the banking and paying the bills and everything and the computer and having to do it all online. Yeah. Like as a society, we've, we've done nothing to help them. You know, we've just marginalised them to a point. And my old man, he, <laughs> he still goes down to the Bank of Ireland in Rohini Village every Friday with his lodgement slip or with his withdrawal slip. And he refuses. And I think he's probably the only person who goes in and out of the bank in Rohini who they actually deal with. He just refuses to go to the machines. So he goes, yeah. he has his lodgement slips in a little press in the kitchen, fills them out every Friday morning, gets a lift down and goes in and withdraws his cash and will not do it any other way. And, you know, if he lived in a small town like my yeah. parents, that wouldn't even be an option. No. The banks are all gone. Yeah, it's gone. It's funny because I played in Kilkenny last weekend and myself and Lisa O'Neill, Lisa was playing as well. And Lisa was, we were on the way back up on the train and she was saying exactly the same thing. If you refuse to get involved, if as a person you refuse to engage online, yeah. they don't want to know you, yeah. you know. And it's, it, it's such a pity, really, it is. I suppose somebody said it to me there recently. For the last two years, I've just done a kind of gentle trespass into mum and dad's life, mm. you know, and kind of just been around them and written songs about them and taken photographs of the two of them and just shared whatever goes on every day and the struggles that they have and the struggles that I had in terms of the triggers of going back to look after two parents. As yep. You know, we were talking about earlier on, it's in the, in the old family home very much so it automatically triggers memories for yeah, you as does, a child yeah. or as a person. So you're going back and you're having conversations with eight-year-old self mm-hmm. and you're going, okay. So, so much of the last two years, again, was me putting in the work, being yeah. able to kind of go, put up my own hand and go, look, I need a bit of help here. And I got some help from an amazing, amazing counsellor. But to be able to sit with yourself and have those conversations with six-year-old self or seven-year-old self and go, we did all right here. You know, yeah. I'm, like I'm 53 years of age now, but I can still sit with that person in the room yeah. and go, yeah, we're all right here. It's also, um, there's a sort of a psychological hurdle you have to get over or past as the roles are reversing. Yeah. And these people that looked after you for yeah. so long and now you're in the looking yeah. after. Yeah. Th- there's something about that that it's something you have to um, grapple with for a bit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I like it. it is, I often wondered what happened with their parents, you know, who looked after their parents. So was that a generational thing where essentially those people probably just died at home or it was never mm. a case of having to put people into nursing homes. And we are of that generation who are, we're parenting the parents. That's what we're doing, you know. Yep. And uh, yeah, it's been, it's been tough for so many, so many months and so many weeks. You get great days and you get, you know, and then you get bad days, but then you need to kind of go, right, okay, I need to do some work here myself and, mm-hmm. you know, look after myself. But I've been blessed with beautiful, beautiful people around me all my life. And to this day, it's still the same. So you kind yeah. of know when to reach out or who to reach to or people yeah. will reach into you, you know, so. You sort of set that up in the context of the pandemic, but am I right in thinking you'd actually move back to look after them before the pandemic? Yes, happened? just before it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, just before it. I'd... Yeah, I was in Kilkenny for a couple of years and I'd come out of a relationship and I just needed to do, I needed to do some work, you know, on myself and kind of going home to the home place was just the easy option. What with the housing situation here in the city, it was just, 
it wasn't an option. So I went back there and then the pandemic hit and then all of a sudden I was, you know, we're in the middle of it. And I'm never going to regret it. Mm. I'm never going to regret the last two years. You know, it's, uh, I'll have chalked it down and when dad is gone, God forbid, you know, I'll be able to walk away from it and go, yeah. I did everything I could for them mm. or we did everything we could for them as a family you know even yeah. though the lads are remotely Dermot is actually home for a couple of days from Norway at the moment simply to give me just a bit of air for a couple of days you yeah. know and look it's greatly appreciated because yeah. he has three kids you know and it's yeah but I'm also sure that he like me and my siblings appreciates yeah um, having you there yeah yeah very much so yeah and, and like that's the thing about it. See, I volunteered for it. You know, I kind of knew what I was getting myself into. Little knowing the kind of struggles that you might meet or the speed bumps you'd meet along the way. But mm. I owed it to them, you know. Yeah. Mom, particularly, because she was just everything I am as a human from the tip of my toe to the top of my head is elements of four. What was her name? Mary. Mary Therese Barrett. Mary Therese. Yeah, from Croydon Green in Fairview most beautiful soul she had seven sisters there's only two of them left now still but you know to have gone through her entire life and I know for a fact that not one person would say anything unkind about her or she never said anything unkind about anybody else mm. and that's you know that's a treasure to leave in any will it's not ever about money or whatever you leave behind she'd left behind four kids who all stand up in their own skin every day and are you know, we're the fragments of her, mm-hmm. you know? So, yeah. I watched, um, you know, it's on YouTube, whatever, um, a performance of yours from the living room. Yeah. Um, and in it, you have this beautiful metaphor about carers. COVID meant home caring for my parents and up and down the length and breadth of this country are unlit lighthouses of people who have home cared throughout the entire pandemic and beyond it. Uh, you know, unlit lighthouses. Explain that to me. I did that with, with, with my great friend, Ruth Mesber, uh, the beautiful Ruth. Who we've had on here as well. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah, I know Ruth probably about 20 odd years. But we did that as part of the Patrick's Day Festival. Mm-hmm. And I think it was so much of what goes on around the country in terms of people who care for people goes unnoticed, mm-hmm. goes unwarranted, you know, and people just do they just do what they do every day of the week, you know, and let it be known that, like, if you're on a carer's allowance, which is what I'm on, it's, you know, it, it is not a lot of money. Mm-hmm. It's not a living wage. It's less than a living wage. And, you know, for me to be able to sit in that room and to be able to sing a few songs and for it to matter to a few people, it should be heralded more. Mm-hmm. You know, people who care, whether it's for people are children with intellectual disabilities or for you know for elderly parents people who light up other people's lives simply as a you know because they want it you know sort of in some ways documented this relationship of late with your parents in the last album yeah 
Yeah. Tell me about that. Yeah, last of the written pages is the is the title of the record, and they are the last of the written pages. You know, a generation who didn't use email or don't know how to text on a phone. Like we stumbled upon loads and loads of mom's letters, letters to mom or letters to dad, and you know, photographs. They're all about. They are that generation who have boxes, shoe boxes of amazing black and white photographs, letters, and you know. The last of the written pages for me, the two of them are the last of the written pages for my generation, for for the Barrett family. After that, after mom and dad are gone, there's just the four of us, and we know how to navigate the world, mm-hmm. you know. But they didn't know how to navigate the world, and that they found themselves living in. Every single song on the record is about either one or the other or me going back and trying to find my own space within the environment of it again. Mm. So much of that will be, will be lost, I think. Shoe boxes underneath people's beds were incredible memories of, you know, and when Mam died, I found an old brown leather music case which is just incredible and opened it up and the sheet music to Pawnee Angelica, Save Maria all that sort of stuff and like dated from you know 1932 1934 notes that she'd written on it you know and it's incredible when you try and think if my mother didn't meet my father how different her life would have been Without four kids, would she have carried on singing? She was an incredible singer. And two weeks ago, we discovered a cassette of Mam singing with the Garda band. She used to go down and do volunteer work with the Vincent de Paul, and they'd put on the entertainment for the night. But we found this incredible recording of Mam singing Danny Boy being backed with, by the Garda band. And I have never in my life heard anything like it. be able to hold on to things like that it's on a cassette mm. it's not on a hard drive you know it's like a cassette it's on a letter it's on a piece of paper it's on a photograph mm. they are the last of the written pages yeah going to do a couple of songs for us today and the yeah. first one on Little Triumphs yeah. is about mm. your ma yeah talk to me a little about it <laughs> mum used to ride a, a green rally triumph bicycle 
and to anybody who you might have to Google them to kind of remember what they look like, but they were. Oh, just, I remember them they, well. <laughs> they were an incredible machine, you know, and it was just them. Um, you didn't see many women riding them. Yeah, yeah. Mom used to ride one, and she had a she had a, a basket on the front, and one of the little carriers, or as we used to call them on the north side, a backer for people sitting on the back. Yeah. And it was green, and it had white emblazoned Triumph Twenty on it, and it had white handlebars. And that kind of long saddle. Yes. Yeah. 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 And I remember I was out running on Bull Island one day during the pandemic and down at the uh, happy out end of it, down where the coffee shop is, down where the wooden bridge, I came across a green rally trying bicycle locked to the bike locks down there. Absolute inch from top to toe, the exact same as mum's. A replica of it. And it just got me thinking. She she used to use the bike cycling in and out to a kind of evening job. You know, wages were never really... It, it, there wasn't a normal kind of pattern of wages when we were growing up, you know, and um, working class family. So mum used to kind of cover it with an evening job, but she used to use that green rally triumph to uh, cycle in and out to work in the evenings after we'd come home from school. And so the song basically is We Are Four, which is myself and the three siblings, and we are all little triumphs. So that's what the song is about. Yeah. Well, let's hear it. <laughs> We are for 
We are your little tribes We are four We are your little tribes Gorgeous. Really beautiful. Thank you. I do have a, a lovely image of Mary Therese in her triumph now. <laughs> you, I mean, you're, you're Kilbarrick born and bred. Yeah. Um, you still sound like you're Dublin born and bred. Yeah. Um, all that. But you did abandon the city for the bright lights of, of Kilkenny for a while. Yeah. Talk to me about that movie because Kilkenny is a very different town than yeah. Kilbarrick. I mean, I had put out, on my seven Joe had put out the second Head Skills record uh, at the end of a winding day. David Grady, great friend of mine, put me in touch with Willie Meehan, um, who used to uh, run Rollercoaster Records in Kilkenny. And uh, Willie fell in love with the record, and I sent him down a couple of copies on the proviso that I've never been one for kind of championing my own self or trying to make a few quid or whatever. It's it's always mattered to me that the art matters more. So I sent 10 down. I had a handmade version of the record. And I sent 10 down to Willie and I told him to sell them at 20 quid each and for the money to go to the Good Shepherd uh, Centre in Kilkenny, which looks after homeless. And uh, so Willie, of course, did that and then we struck up this relationship, been, been able to kind of talk to the man. And then he asked me to get down to Kilkenny to do a show in Kilkenny. And uh, yeah, if you get the Willie Main or if you got the Willie Main thumbs up or seal of approval into Kilkenny, you, you know, you just took it. He was a sort of legendary figure oh. in the Kilkenny music scene. Yeah, everything, everything that happens, Willie Mayne was involved in it. And mm. such a beautiful, beautiful man. And he's greatly missed. I miss the man so much. He only passed away fairly yeah, recently. he did, yeah, yeah. And uh, he's missed by a lot of people down there. And it's the smallest little space in Kilkenny, the shop, you know, but the biggest of hearts used to run it. And you'd, like, you'd walk into it and the counter would be at the front and... All you'd see is his little kind of bald head up over the top of the laptop. And like if he went in there without a coffee for Willie, he just knew there was a look over the laptop. And you always knew that if Willie Mean welcomed you into Kilkenny, the job was done, you know. So I went down and lived there for a few years. And I was only down recently again to play um, St. Canis Cathedral for the Ukrainian benefit. But uh, yeah, it's a beautiful city. There's some wonderful humans living in it, you know, and... Everything revolves through roller coasters, through those beautiful people, you know. Mm. Yeah, it's funny, that, you know, that that story is all about record shop because you used to manage an HMV or something. Yeah, I was a god. I was a what they would call a buyer. I was a music buyer for HMV for fourteen years. Oh, yeah. So I worked in Grafton Street and in Henry Street, and yeah. So that was they paid me a wage to buy records. 
the perfect job for you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was at the time. And, you know, I always say that if HMV was still trading on the high street in Ireland, I'd still be working for them. Yeah. You know, some record stores are sadly missed. Really. Yes. Yeah. What, what's going on in the high street well, at the moment is right because like little small shops that are actually still making a living at what it should always have been about, you know, yeah. like Steamboat in Limerick, Music Zone in Cork. Roll Coast, Kenny Spin Dizzy and the lads here, you know, it's, yeah, yeah it works when it's small and when yeah. it's intimate and when there's a personal relationship with whoever's behind the yeah. counter. That was what always worked, you know. And those smaller shots kind of reflect the musical passions of the people who own them and run them. Yeah, well, 100%. Yeah. You can learn to trust those people and trust what what it is they're talking to you about and yeah. what, I suppose... It's like knowing you have a good coffee shop, you know. So you'll always go in if you get a good cup of coffee somewhere. You go, right, I'll keep going back there, mm. you know. And the smaller it is for me, it's always been about, it's always been about intimate personal contact. If you know somebody's name, yeah. It's funny. I was in, I was in the post office in Gilbertic Shopping Centre last week, and I stood there and I'm hyper observant in the last two years, just watching the simple things around me. And there was a woman in front of me buying, um, she was buying an envelope. But she knew Linda behind the counter. She was able to tell Linda that this is for my glasses. I'm getting new glasses, Linda. How was your Easter, Linda? You know, that beautiful connection that we've lost. I just hope we don't lose it to a point. Mm. You know, and yeah, this city has just been engulfed by offices and by... You know, things yeah, that don't things that to, don't matter anymore. I actually wanted to talk to you about that because I had read, you know, on your Twitter yeah. uh, some things about the city and that. And um I mean obviously um I have a, a pub on Cable Street, yeah. so I would sing the praises of Cable Street. Yeah. But I really do yeah. uh, part of what's so wonderful about Cable Street is apart from the bank and the spa, yeah, everything else in independently owned business on that whole street from top to bottom. Like they are the only yeah. chains on it, the bank yeah. and the spa. Yeah. And the length and breadth of that street, you you can live on Cable Street and never leave it. Yeah. If you want anything from a rubber yeah. stamp to a, yeah. uh, a, a chair, yeah. to a nurse's uniform, to a dildo, you can get them all <laughs> on Cable Street. Um, you know, Yeah, I, I really love that about it. Yeah. And to me, that's what a high street should be. Yeah. And it could do it a record store. It probably could. Or you could. Yeah, yeah without a shadow. Yeah. I mean, it, I only tweeted about this the other day and I was coming in on the Lewis, I was coming in from Renla and when you're getting off the Lewis at Grafton, it just about over the tannoy of the Lewis, it basically says Grafton Street for the Grafton Shopping District comes out over the PA on the yep. Lewis. And uh, it was just, it irks me every time I get off the Lewis there and going, Stephen's Green is there, the Ivy Gardens is there, yep. the Natural History Museum is down there and the National Gallery is there. It's the same when you come there, when you get off the Lewis and Parnell Street, yep. the Hugh Lane is up there, the James Joyce Centre. Why do we not talk about the culture of the city anymore? Yeah. Why do we just, you know, it's become blatantly obvious that it's not about commerce anymore because when you walk down Grafton Street, half the units are empty. Yeah. Stephen's Green Shopping Centre, half the units are empty. Yeah. You and I both know why that's the case. Yeah. Because you're coming from that background of that amazing street yeah. that you have your place on. And as you say, it's a community. It is, yeah. It's an absolute community. And going back to that woman in front of me in the post office and Linda behind the counter, she was able to relate to Linda because Linda talks to her. Mm-hmm. And that's about connection. Yeah. I've had sort of conversations about it with a, a number of the people who've been guests here because um, I think artists see, are at the coalface of this change in the city. Yeah. Because it's becoming harder and harder for artists to find space to do yeah. their thing, yeah. to 
make a, a living wage yeah. out of their thing because yeah. they're being so pushed to the margins. And again, Cable Street's not a pretty good example because um, directly opposite Panty Bar, mm. there's been an empty lot across from us. Yeah. And now a hotel has been given planning permission. And within 300 metres of us, there are five new hotels yeah. being constructed or just finished. Yeah. Um, and the one on Cable Street will really be only the second building in the whole length of the street that isn't, yeah, you know, isn't original to the street. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it makes me worry now, is even Cable Street going to feel the, yeah. you know, the... Yeah, the pinch. And yeah. I, I, like, I only noticed it yesterday in so many of those office buildings that are being put up, like, are there tenants going into them? Or are we just mm-hmm. building buildings for the sake of it? Yeah. You know, because the migration from people working in offices in the city centre across the pandemic to back to working the home again. Mm-hmm. So half the office blocks in the city are half empty again yeah. and then we're still putting up more offices. Yeah. And um, you know, on Cable Street too, people don't really re- often realise there are so many other small businesses on the first floors of all the buildings. Yes. A lot of graphic designers yeah. and these kind of yeah. things. So Cable Street is one of the last places in the city centre that those people can... Yeah, it is the great the great Frank Tate who looks after so many of our guitars in yeah. Luthier. He's yeah. Frank is on the far end, the old kind of end of Cable Street, up yeah. above, and as you said, up above these kind of windy stairs into yeah. this workshop which is laden with sawdust and wood and varnish, and it's just incredible. Yeah, you know. Let's go to back to the music for a little yeah. bit. I'm talking about hedge schools. Um, I've read a few interviews with you talking about the hedge school stuff and. I'm with Chester and like, I hope you don't mind me saying this but the kind of love and mutual respect that you guys have for each other comes across almost like lovers Joe Chess is one of the finest producers in this country, you know, being, being perfectly honest, you know, when he lives in Rennes in France these days, he moved himself and Julia, his wife. Um, but we spent 20 odd years in the van together, you know, and for me to be able to, when when Tensby Racer split up, I kind of had a few songs kind of in the back pocket and I was kind of going, okay, well, what am I going to do with these? Well, no better person to walk up because I know the man 20 odd years, you know, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I've tried to live a life where that thread of friendship with people remains strong and it's never broken. And with him, it was always that way as well. It was like the man stood at the end of my hospital bed when I was really sick a couple of years ago. And it's like, that's the sort of friendship, quite apart from the music end of it. So for me to be able to sit in the back of a studio room with him, play him a song... And trust him. There's a, there's a. We we meet each other halfway. We always met each other halfway in the room. And I was always able to kind of listen to him or critically take on what he would say about whatever it was I was trying to do. Um, and that takes, yeah. There's an incredible trust I think in each other. Mm-hmm. You know.
That's very clear. Um, yeah. Reading, both of you talk about each other. Yeah. 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 And it, there's a connection, I think, with with music. When you're making music with, with people, you know, there has to be a connection there. You know, because if there's one element, element of it that's not necessarily, you know, tied in with whatever is going on, it, it, it becomes frayed, you know. And mm-hmm. But yeah, God, he's an incredible, incredible producer, but... More than above that, a beautiful, beautiful friend of mine. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. There's um a bird thing in, in your work <laughs> and in um the hedge schools work and um, it's funny Adrian Crowley we had him yeah. in here and he has a thing about yeah. birds too yeah. and um, so tell me your bird thing <laughs> it's just uh, I just think they have the most beautiful freedom you know I mean like Kilbarrick obviously being where it is I'm 15 minutes 10 minutes on the bike away from the North Pole Wall down at the Dolly Mount so I've spent the last two years running on the beach or walking on the beach and the wildlife that is down there, obviously it's a nature reserve, but for the first, the first lockdown, as we call it now, which was, that was, that was my favourite lockdown, I have to say. It was my favourite lockdown. But yeah. Because... We were all downhill from after that. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> but, um, like, Dublin City Council, or the people who look at, Dublin City Council look after the beach, and they put up signs and pictures of boards that had come back to nest on the bull wall because the place was so quiet because there was no traffic going down there because they had been corned off and it was like everybody's in the two mile radius and there was boards, a species of boards that hadn't come back to the island for 10 years. Sitting on a ledge Wondering how you got there Waiting on a wind. I didn't realise that. Yeah, back nesting, and they deliberately, and it was a gorgeous thing to do because they basically put up signs going, Look at this board hasn't been here for 10 years, and it's back nesting, and it's in the sand dunes. Please respect it, and please. And when you go down there every day of the week, you just see different species every, mm. every, everywhere, you know, whether the herons or whether it's, you know, there's hawks down there, and to see, to sit, to watch a hawk hovering over prey down on Bull Island, the most beautiful thing, the mm. most beautiful. And there is, they have a freedom. They can be anywhere. They can be wherever they want to be. Magnificent bird. But like, if we weren't here, they wouldn't miss us. Yeah. 
They wouldn't. Birds wouldn't miss us. Yeah. You know, if we weren't here, if humans weren't here. Whereas dogs would miss us. Yeah, they would. Yeah. <laughs> Bloody ages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cats wouldn't either. Cats wouldn't. No, no, no. Cats no, wouldn't, wouldn't have a bar. Are you going to do a second song for us? Yeah. Threads. Yeah. It's that funny thing. Dad, he's from North County Dublin and like farming background and a small little townland called Skidoo. I've always been fascinated by the name called Skidoo when it's... Uh, Skidoo, S-K-I-D-O, double O is Skidoo and it's in, it's a small townland in North County Dublin. Near Brigham or something? Near Ballybockle. Do you know Ballybockle? So yeah, and Skidoo, how do not know that there's a town in Ireland called Skidoo? So he's a simple man and he would come in, he would come in and out of town on Christmas Eve and we would go into Wynn's Hotel and he would buy himself a hat and clearies. And that was it. That was his trip for the year. And that would happen every Christmas Eve. And during the first uh, lockdown, I had to bring him across to James's to a hospital appointment. And uh, he was in the back of the cab and, you know, his eyes were just basically like dancing because he hadn't been in the city for so many years, you know. And uh, I didn't notice it so much going up the keys, but when we were coming back from James's, this beautiful Polish lad picked us up and James's and he brought us down the North Keys and we were coming down and I asked him, would he pull in in O'Connor Street? And he did. And I took Dad out the back of the cab and we stood in O'Connor Street for a couple of minutes. And Treads is basically, for me, the opening nine of it is we're standing in the middle of the last time because it might be the last time that Dad sees the city centre. And when we got home to Kilbarrick, I took Dad out of the cab and the taxi driver asked me why I'd done it. And I was telling him, and he just waved the fair away. He said, no fair. Oh. The most beautiful man. I never even got his name. But Treads is basically about that, about being able to kind of just let, you know, lifting the weight of his life off his bones and just, you know, letting him go. You know, so that's what it's about. Lovely. Well, let's hear it. <laughs> second heart a 
the second beat kicking in just try to hold the maps therefore your journeys the second skin will settle in These are not end of days They are just beautiful We are the threads you laid It has been beautiful These are not end of They are just beautiful We are the threads you laid And it has been beautiful It has been Come on Story, yeah, it's mad. Mm. And uh, your man, I never to this day, uh, he, he didn't understand what I was doing, so he got he pulled in there in that little sideway at the side of the GPO, and we got oh, out yeah. for a couple of minutes. And I was, the development that was going on at Cleary's, my dad used to buy his hat, we just looking over, over at that for a couple of minutes. And uh, yeah, I mean, we've been talking a lot about your parents, but you're a dad yourself, yes, yeah, yeah. And you and the, uh, her mother split up at one time, yeah, yeah. That's when you moved to Kilkenny for a while, and now you're back in Dublin, yeah. I don't know. Does having your own child make you see your relationship with your parents now differently? Or it, it does, yeah. I mean, like, I think you're very careful of what you would consider to be mistakes that were made when you were being brought up. Mm. You know, so you know. I think certainly from a point of view of being in touch with emotions and stuff, Mam would have given us all that. 
you know so I think our generation are very much whether we're bringing up kids we're very much in touch with letting kids actually be heard and feel mm. things and see things and you know whereas years ago we were probably taught the four of us you know to be seen and not heard and that was because of the generation that mom would have came from as well you know so but I your think, parents were actually pretty open about you showing your emotion and all yeah, that no yeah mom was yeah mom would have been whereas dad would have been he he probably would have walked or he would have left the room you know and would still you know find it very hard to talk about things of Beans. the heart matters of the heart <laughs> yeah but whereas what mom god she wore it on us live and i think the four of us wear it on us days as well so i think in terms of bringing up children they should see everything. They should feel everything. You should talk to them about things. It's, you know, it shouldn't be hidden away, you know. Time to navigate Move it all the way But it's funny because um, one of the people, you know, when we've been talking about you behind your back, um, mm. one of the people that has come up in conversation a, a bit because we sort of see some similarities, even though musically it's not obvious really, but it's Damo Dempsey. Ah, yeah. God bless the man. You have a similar background, yeah. similar part of town and all yeah. of that. And Damo is also sort of, has been very open about his own. Yeah struggles and yeah. mental health yeah. stuff and yeah. dealing with feelings yeah. Yeah. And, and all yeah. of that so you kind of have that in common you're both very yeah I mean I know God I know Dan for 20 years such a beautiful beautiful man lovely man you know and like we we would have started kind of let's say penciling the trade of writing songs upstairs in the International with Dave Murphy you know and like Dan would come up and you'd have notebooks and everybody was allowed two songs and whether it was Mundy or Glenn or demo and like it was a tribe of us you know and then all of a sudden then I found out that demo lived across the green yeah. you know and Donna Mead yeah so I've had many a session an early morning session sitting at the piano and his ma was getting up for work and we were only after we were only after coming in yeah he's yeah he's yeah he is an earth brother that man without a doubt you haven't gotten into the nude yoga in the garden like he no, has no 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 <laughs> no I haven't god no I don't think the garden would be able for that, to be fair. <laughs> you know, we, we sort of touched on the how the city has changed and everything. Um, but there is a struggle, I think, um, for artists, musicians, um, to sort of remain in the game. Yeah. Because it is such a struggle. Yeah. And although the country on paper is always celebrating our artists, mm. um, it actually does very little to support them. Yeah. You see, that's the thing. I mean, like, I never knew there was a game. And I've had a career of, like, I've released four records across the last kind of 10, 12 years. Every one of those records has been personally financed. I've never applied for a grant because, whatever, that's not going to happen. So I don't know whether I'm considering... Uh, I mean, when we talk about the game... I don't know whether I consider myself part of the game. I'm, I like I, I dip in and out. 
you know I'm on I'm on the subs bench let's put it that way and occasionally I'll talk out and I'll go out on the pitch and I'll sing a few songs and then I'll go back onto the subs bench but I've financed the four records by having jobs by having yeah. you know by having HMV jobs but I don't see myself as part of the game and it's it's a funny one that because if, if I talk for one minute that I could actually make a living doing it well then I might try but I don't think I could. I actually don't think I could. Really? I don't think I've been flipping about it. I just going. I I actually couldn't make a living doing it, you know. And uh, but yet the monkey is always there. It's on your shoulders. Going yeah. okay. You need to. You need to write, or you need to do. Something. You need to do something. I deliberately haven't since man passed in January. I deliberately haven't switched on the computer, and I switched it on for the first time last week, just to try and work, you know. And. Uh, but I don't know what that's going to be. Why do you say you deliberately haven't turned it on? Because I was going through so much. Going through so much, you know, and you, you kind of have to, you, you kind of have to give yourself time to grieve, I think, in a, in a situation like that. Yeah, my partner at the moment, Louise, I mean, like, just wrapped around me for the last, I'd say, two or three months. And, you know, I can't, you know, I can't be more thankful or grateful for people who've been in my life for the last six weeks. So, but I couldn't switch on the computer because mm-hmm. I don't know how to start. And Louise bought me this beautiful, like, fabric-bound notebook last week, which basically is, okay, I'm going to start walking again, which means I'll start walking again, mm-hmm. you know. But um, am I in the game? Well, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I really don't. Yeah. You know, and I'm quite happy not to be. I'm a huge fan of the genius that is Pat Inglesby, and Pat Inglesby's walk just follows me everywhere. The books stacked from floor to ceiling at home, all this walk. And he would be of the same ilk, just going, if somebody, you know, if somebody asked him, was he an artist or why does he do it? Or, you know, it's he just writes because he just does. It's lovely to see in the last few years, Pat getting a lot of yeah the, the respect yeah. he deserves yeah 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 yeah, yeah. definitely um he did it because he loves it yeah yeah and he can't yeah. do anything else probably yeah. exactly yeah can't yeah. do anything else yeah and nobody ever went into poetry for the sex and no <laughs> no, god, and no god no no <laughs> um patrick it's been absolutely lovely pleasure, pleasure. to you thank you so much Glorious, for being here. thank you patrick pat arrivalists yeah uh, Hedge School Kilbarg Zen Master <laughs> <laughs> thanks so much it's been absolutely lovely having you and um, I look forward to whatever you decide to do next thanks Panty Kilbarg Zen Master that and yeah that is somebody Brian Berry called me that and I was kind of going oh you like that Brian can I use it and he was going yeah gosh can thank you thanks for that thanks a million that was lovely it was glorious thank you lovely 